the Seeds You Sow podcast, planting seeds of applied knowledge, strategic change, and unstoppable passion. Coming to you live. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Seed You Sow podcast, coming to you live, KUSF.org, in the studio on this very chill, bright Sunday morning in Black History Month. February, that is 2019, in the studio with my lovely host, got black girl magic, beautiful Ashley Austin over here, to the right, she's right there, y'all, she's right there, <laughs> say hi, Ashley. Hey, y'all, welcome, people, I'm so happy to be back to record, I'm Yay. feeling so cold this Sunday, and happy Black History Month, also, happy Chinese New Year, happy Lunar New Year, but most of all, happy Black History Month. That's right, it's Year of the Pig. It's oh, the Year of the Pig, it's the lucky, lucky year. Oh. So if you have a baby this year, you have a real, like, pigs are prosperous. Ooh. Mm. And we got in the uh, studio with us this week, Deacon Mike is back, y'all. Peace, peace, y'all. Yeah. Glad to be in the building, as always. With the authentically black man voice that everybody loves. <laughs> you shout out, Asia. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Yes, you guys, we're so happy to be back in the studio. We have a hot show lined up for you guys. For the month of February, we are building, or excuse me, we're planting seeds that are all around building healthy relationships. So for today's seed of the day, it's entitled, Say No, Say No, Say No, 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 Say Hell No to Toxic Relationships. Mm. We're going to be talking about the importance of what it means to be in a healthy relationship, a fulfilling relationship, a whole relationship, and also how to stay away from the relationships that are toxic and are demeaning and debilitating to your overall being. So we're super, super excited to talk about that. Also, since it's Black History Month, we're going to be shouting out different, you know, facts about black history, and we're going to do trivia. Who's ready for trivia? Trivia, trivia. <laughs> I'm ready for trivia. Uh, I'm like, I'm about to... I was a black history major, technically, so I feel like I'm ready. Okay. I was like, yeah. So we're going to be switching it up this um, month. Instead of doing like our take, root, and give back section, what we'll be doing is during that time, each host will take the time to offer um, a, a history fact in reference to black history. And then also every episode, we're going to be doing a little trivia. And the cool thing about the trivia is it's an opportunity for you guys, our listeners, to win a prize. Woo! Who likes free stuff? I did. I did. How did you get them? I got you guys a book. <laughs> Reading is good for the soil. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, are we excited about that? Yeah. The book, well, okay, I can name the book. The book is to be young, gifted, and black, which is in line with the actual um, trivia question. So mm. I should just go ahead and state it right now. Ashley was going to go ahead and post two. So the way it's going to work, you guys, is we're going to post the actual question the first person to DM us the correct answer, not the wrong answer, the correct answer, will win the book to be young, gifted, and black. So, with that being said, our first, first, first um, question for trivia this month is, who is the original singer and composer of the song to be young, gifted, and black? Okay. So if you're able to name that specific singer, you will be the grand prize winner of the book to be young, gifted, and black. Mm. And you know what? Hold up, hold up. I'm, 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 you know what? I'm, I'm feeling gracious. I'm feeling gracious. And okay, here's the bonus part too. If you're able to name the singer, and if you're able to name who was the person that inspired the song, 
I'll throw in a $10 gift certificate. Not a $20 gift certificate to Target. Mm. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. So you got to name the singer, and then you'll win the book automatically. But if, then if you can name, oh, who inspired the song? Who was this person writing for? I'll give you a $20 gift certificate to Target because everybody loves Target. Yes, we do. I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You get all your, you know, your everything. soaps. They everything good, you need. got good bathing suits right now. <laughs> We're trying to have a little Black History Month section, but, you know, still oh. remember who's getting the cut of that. It's not a Black American, so just remember that. <laughs> <laughs> This is very true. I mean, dang, we kind of... We, we have I a lot of buying power in, in capitalism, so I just want to remind black people we don't invest, we don't like build wealth like we should because, mm. unfortunately, we come from a place of oppression. But if you have a chance to spend your money, try to give it to like black-owned businesses. Mm. I know that's something mm. I'm passionate about. Um, I'm also just very frugal in general, though. That's right. good. You gotta... What do you always say, Ashley? It's like the... You think about the pain of like uh, you're, you don't, you don't mind disciplining yourself for that long term reward. You're thinking yeah. about um, long term satisfaction, not yes. just short term satisfaction. Mm-hmm. So I delay gratification a lot because my hope is that at like 35 and 36 and like 10 years, you know, I'm right where I want to be. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to just where you want to be. Yeah. And shout out to Brother Damon. He's not with us in the studio today, but we're sending him all the love. You know, he's holding down his daddy duties, but he'll be back with us in the studio next Sunday on the 24th. So, yeah, we're super, super excited to be back in the studio, y'all. We got so many great things coming up to seed you. So we love you guys so much. Make sure you follow us on the Instagram cracker. Check us out on the Book of Faces. Make sure you give us a review, all that good stuff. But we're going to go ahead. We're going to segue into our seed of the day, which is basically say hell no to toxic relationships, y'all. So, okay, (laughs) just to give you guys some background before we hop into this discussion, two things inspired this episode. One thing inspired this was, one, it's February. And as we know, the commercialized holiday, Valentine's Day, is coming up, right? Mm. And so I know some people are like, anti, you know, Valentine's Day, anti-commercial holidays. I mean, I get that from that aspect. As a kid, I love Valentine's Day. I love passing out the Valentines. I love getting all the candy. Even as an adult, I still like Valentine's Day. Whether I'm booed up or not, I still just love it. I love all the candy. I love the colors, whatever. But it made me think, you know, at this time of season especially with the weather, everybody's all caked up and stuff. People get in their feelings. And sometimes the conversation around relationships is more so focused on, when am I going to meet somebody? How am I going to meet somebody? Who's my love? Where is my love? All like the conversation sometimes is centered around just the relationship itself. But I feel like it's important as a community that we talk about the type of relationship we're in mm-hmm. and the type of love that we're giving ourselves so then we know how we can give love to another person. Because unfortunately, especially in the black community, a lot of toxic relationships exist. And the second part to why this episode was first um, came to mind for me was because, and I don't want to talk too long about this. I just want to just name it for what it is. I did watch the um, Surviving R. Kelly documentary. Mm. And we're not going to talk about R. Kelly today. But all I'm going to say is my mind goes into many different places. And where my mind went while watching that was psychological abuse. And then when I when I started thinking about psychological abuse, I started thinking about toxic relationships. So I started thinking about how in our community at times, there's a lot of toxic behaviors that are normalized. And I think today's conversation is going to be, you know, allowing us to, you know, question where do these behaviors come from? How do we normalize things like this? How do we break free from this? Also, it's going to be a positive conversation because we could talk about the importance and define what are healthy attributes in a healthy, fulfilling, whole, loving relationship. Because at the end of the day, we're human. 
we want to connect. We want to relate. We want to feel loved. And everybody deserves that. So it's just important we start talking about what that looks like so that we can better prepare ourselves because sometimes you may not even know you're in something toxic. Mm -hmm. So... I'm really, really excited for today's conversation because I know Ashley and Michael, as usual, are going to be offering their black men and black women perspectives, and it's going to be awesome and great, and I'm going to be over here offering my ridiculous but loving perspective. And of course, we have two articles to um, share with you guys. Um, one article um, by posted by ourselvesblack.com entitled Toxic Relationships, A Serious Threat to Mental Health. Very great article. Would very much encourage you guys all to read that one. Another article we'll be highlighting is um, 10 Signs of a Healthy Relationship, which was posted by joinonelove.org. So, yes, it's going to be a good balanced conversation between, you know, acknowledging the toxic behaviors, what it does to our mental and emotional health, while also acknowledging the positive things, the loving things, the things that we all deserve, which is trust, respect, wholeness, humility. These are the things that we need in relationships. But before we get there, we got to get to the root and dig up what's preventing that. So let's go ahead and let's hop right into the conversation. Was there anything you guys are thinking right now or feeling? That or? I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this <clears throat> because I think oftentimes people think about the end game, mm. um, but you got to start with yourself. So I'm excited mm. to talk about that today. Yes, that's right. Uh, one thing I'm thinking about right now is just that like um, in this conversation, I think that uh, it's easy for us to think about relationships in the sense of um, our being in love with our future partner relationship, but toxicity comes from all angles. Mm. Um, it comes from friendships. It mm -hmm. comes from family relationships. Thank it you. comes from like every relationship that we have in our life. Yes. So when we're talking about these um, qualities and things that are important to build the right relationships, I just want our listeners to think about it holistically yes. in that every relationship that we have <clears throat> is a big part of our life and how we feel. Thank you for naming that. That's very, very, very important. And you're right. Sometimes that will get overlooked. So we definitely need to name any type of ship in life. If other people ain't putting in their row, if ain't people rowing in the right direction with you, you need to, you know, assess your boat, people. But go ahead. Like, let's go ahead. Let's hop into this. And um, I kind of want to just, you know, open it up, like starting off with let's acknowledging like the toxic part or the unhealthy part of certain relationships um, of like what happens in relationships. And then we can like segue more into like the positive things. But I'm really curious to hear from you guys in terms of what, like, how would you define like an unhealthy, like what are unhealthy behaviors in relationships? And where do you guys think some of these unhealthy behaviors stem from? So unhealthy behaviors in relationships. I think that there are different types of unhealthy behaviors behavior. So we talked about the psychological, so that's the mental. Mm -hmm. um, we talked about physical, mm. which is one aspect. Um, and if I think about those two, if someone is not allowing you to reach your full potential, mm. that is psychologically stopping you and also physically stopping you. Like they're like not allowing you to go to work or not allowing you to go back to school. And it's not about like you all having discussion. It's more about like they don't want to see you grow and they want to have control over you. So any point in time when somebody else in the relationship is trying to have control over you, which is more control than you have over yourself, that mm. is toxic. Mm. And sometimes we don't realize it because we think these people have our best interests at heart, but you have to continually ask yourself, 
is this in the best interest for us? Mm. Is this in the best interest for me? Or is this only in the best interest for you? Mm. Because it can go three ways when you're in a relationship. It can be a us thing, it can be a you thing, or it can be a them thing. Ooh. So take some time to really ask yourself those questions once you feel like, wait, this doesn't seem right, and really see who is this benefiting and how often is it benefiting that person if it goes to, like, it's benefiting them. Is it always them? Because my grandmother always told me, I was with a married couple this past week, it's about give and take. Yes, definitely. And if someone's taking too much physically or mentally, then, like, you have to really, like, renegotiate what that looks like for you and what works for you. Mm-hmm. Amen. Uh, one of the things that I think is like really, really important to flag as a unhealthy behavior in a relationship mm-hmm. is defensiveness. And in the moment when you are going through a time of struggle or a time of, of pain or frustration, et cetera, et cetera, um, it's a natural reaction, I think, for people to be defensive. But if somebody is always defensive and never reflective in what they do and what they bring into a relationship, then I find that to be like a really, really big flag for uh, someone who is maybe um, contributing to an unhealthy relationship. Mm-hmm. So in a moment, um, I think it's it's natural to bump heads sometimes when we're in an argument. But when you take some time to think about like what your part in the relationship or what your part in the argument was and your partner does too and that person is still always defensive then I think that's something that you need to look out for in um, that person contributing to being unhealthy mm. because it's a two-way street and it's not always, um, to be honest with you, right, it, it typically is um, the woman's job to always compensate for the fact that the man is not being reflective and accepting and admitting to what he is not bringing into the relationship. Um, and I think that, like, there's many, many uh, contributions to people being like this. Um, in, in in general, like, being being black is something that we have to defend all the time. Mm. Um, I had somebody who um, said I was unprofessional as a coach for saying, bruh. Mm. But then I told him, like, you say man, you say guys. That's the same thing as me saying, bruh. And, like, just in that small reality i have to defend myself as a black man in the way that i speak um and i think that that quality is something that often actually ends up contributing to toxic relationships because we have that that me against the world type Mm. of mentality that's like i always got to defend myself i always got to defend myself even against my loved ones and i appreciate you talking about the aspect of being a black male or defending your blackness because i think people are like we're over that we need to move on that and i don't think people really truly understand the history of black americans in this country and i found myself like noticing that with some friends that they don't all the way understand. But it's not about just understanding. It's about having an understanding of the history Mm -hmm. so that it informs the context of this person. I think Mm. people think that, oh, you know, this is overly talked about or this is not relevant. Um, And it's just, that's just not true. It's just not true. And like defending yourself and defending your blackness is a thing. And that is because whiteness and professionalism are synonymous. Right. And blackness is always other. Darker skin is always other. Colors exist. So it makes it difficult to be in a relationship. And we talked about this a little bit before, Aisha, is that we have so much healing to do as a people (laughs) that when you haven't really worked on yourself, it makes you really hard to be with somebody else who isn't healed. 
right. man, that part right there all together. Because like going, you guys are so right. Because you and your own mentality is constantly defended. I mm. mean, like on the defense, and you're always like in a state of survival mode. And a lot of relationships require vulnerability. They require right. intimacy. They re- require yourself being seen. And it's really hard for some people, our people, not all of our people, but a good majority of our people, to really get to that space of like comfort within ourselves, so we could be comfortable with another person. And I just want to name um, from the article about toxic relationships or a threat to our mental health. It does state that a simple binary approach to categorizing relationships as good or bad masks the actual behaviors that occur and causes people to often minimize or overlook altogether dangerous and destructive relational dynamics that compromise mental, physical, and emotional help, health. So that's why it's very important for us to name specifically, like how Ashley was just talking about the fact that if someone's trying to control you or if Michael mm-hmm. was stating specifically about the fact that if you're always on the defense, those we need to name specifically what is problematic um, because that way we can dig deeper into getting past that as opposed to just saying, oh, it's bad. Well, what what does bad even mean? Mm -hmm. And one thing that's coming to my mind is um, uh, attribute of an unhealthy relationship definitely is if you are not able to feel like you can be your real 100% self. Mm. And this goes aligned to what we were just talking about because the world that we live in at times doesn't allow us to do that. But sometimes in these relationships, you may come across a person that may try to criticize you or downplay you or silence you. If you feel like you're always trying to put on airs or if you have to kind of mask what you feel or if you're always walking on eggshells, that's a sign that you are not free. That's a sign that you are not at peace. Mm. That's a sign that you really can't be yourself. And even going back, I know you stated, Michael, about, you know, the man and the woman. I think it also is important to name that toxic relationships, let it be from the man or from the woman. It can happen on either end. Right. Um, because any because we all are susceptible to this society that molds us and socializes us to kind of viewing us in a negative light. And we have to do the work to make sure that we can look at ourselves in a positive way. And so in any case, I say that to say, like, if you find yourself in a situation where you feel like you have to kind of, I would say, begin to mask who you are, pretend to be something you're not, that's not a relationship that's going to like promote like who you essentially are made to be because you're not feeling comfortable who you are essentially anyway. And when I think about where these things come from, it definitely is from like a societal thing. I also think sometimes, and this, it is connected to society, but it's also, it's a mixture of like our familial environments, but I'll speak to myself personally because I think sometimes people think, oh, if you're in a toxic relationship, then that means that you must've came from a toxic background. No, no. Um, I, I'll, I'll go ahead and just stay specifically like I know for myself, I came from a very loving background. Both my parents, grandparents, aunties, uncles, cousins, all of that good stuff. Saw loving people, had loving people, very high self-esteem, very good confidence. I myself felt susceptible to a toxic relationship. And I think the reason why I felt susceptible was because I didn't really take the time to reflect on myself personally. And I'm not saying this like to beat myself up. I'm just naming like, you know, how I felt susceptible to things. So I think one way that people fall susceptible is because maybe you don't take the time to acknowledge certain areas of growth that you may need. Maybe sometimes you're going, going, going so quickly that you don't even realize what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so the the upside to that is, at least from my testimony, is I was able to find, ref, um, to, to reflect, to grow, and to heal and move forward from that. But 
I was going, going so fast that I got myself in a situation that I was like, whoa, how did I even get here? And mm -hmm. I think it's important like to name that because a toxic relationship is not just discriminatory towards like people who only come from per se like broken backgrounds or something like that. No, right. not at all. And I'll, I'll second that. Um, mm -hmm. Very much so in a psychologically abusive relationship. And I've talked about it a little bit on the show in the last year. Something that myself, my friends, no one else could really like understand or see. And as I reflect back on it, there's a couple of things. One of my good friends always says, red flags. Are there more? <laughs> if you have more than three red flags, you just need to let it go. Mm. If there's something like, uh, once you get to the second one, you really have to start interrogating and asking more questions. And that's something that I think I gave, like, too much leeway on. Like, oh, I'll trust this person. I'll just continue to see, you know. Um, it was really important to build, like, an intimate relationship. And so I think that's one way is that, like, paying attention to those red flags, I think is really important. And also, control does not always have to do with, like, who you are. I was very much encouraged mm. to do everything that I wanted to do. Control had to do with, like, our relationship and who I talked to about it, who I spoke to about it, and, like, these very private things. That is control at a different level. That's controlling the relationship. So if someone is trying to keep your relationship private, not that, like, they don't want to go out in public and things like that, but everything that happens, the inner workings in it, there's a part of your relationship that should be sacred. But there are certain things that I was like, why do we have to keep that so private? You know? mm. And again, if you're not able to be yourself, then that's an issue. And so those are two things that, like, as I reflect, that I think that were really important is to, like, don't ignore the red flags. When they're two, be aware. Start asking questions and start drawing back. Um, and then three is, like, sometimes people aren't trying to control you, but control the conversation. That's something you also need to pick up on. Yeah. I want to okay. add, too, that yeah. I think that some of the uh, contributions to us holding on or being in unhealthy relationships is the fact that still we are focused on the way everybody else views us. Mm. Um, and so, like, you know, when you're in a relationship and um, your family has been talking about how much they want a grandbaby mm. or, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> like, how, how good-looking that person is that mm. you're with. Like, sometimes we hold on to these relationships mm -hmm. just to make sure that, like, we are... Um, you know, looking out and, and being kind to the people around us rather than ourselves. So, yeah. like, we, we put on this facade and this mask because it looks good to be in a relationship. And it, and it, I mean, it feels good. Even if it's toxic, sometimes it, it feels good to be in a relationship. Or maybe sometimes we stay in a relationship because the other half um, is really beautiful and we like that. They make us look good. or You know what I'm saying? Like, there's so many reasons why um, we hold on to these relationships yeah. because we like the way that it looks or the, the portrayal of us that it has. Or, you know, like I've been I've been hesitant to get into a relationship before because the woman was not a black woman. And I was like, well, what does that say to my blackness? Mm. Um, and just like literally always being far too conscious of the way that society is going to look at me Damn. is something that I That's think deep. has contributed to and contributes all the time to like these these toxic relationships. And it goes back to, like I said earlier, is like having to always defend yourself, right? So I got to make this picture that everything is good and then I'm doing everything that's perfect to being black and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And in reality, I'm holding myself into a relationship that's not that's not good because... I'm focused on everything but 
myself. Yeah, it's kind of like the saying, like everything you're saying in terms of like holding up like to the image or holding up to what society expects. It's kind of like the quote, um, potential is nothing unless it's applied. And I could look back on own personal experiences. And I think for me, I was definitely more in love with the idea of what this person could be right. as opposed to the idea of what this person really was. Right. And then also, I think another reason why we stay in certain like toxic relationships or we may have stayed because we're going to speak past tense was because you get so caught up in the what could be mm -hmm. and you also have been like maybe thinking oh I put so much time I put so much effort I believe in this person I believe in this black man I believe in this black woman I believe in this person whatever and the whole idea of leaving them seems harder than staying mm -hmm. and it's really a lie because the moment that you're able to break free from that lie and you're able to reclaim your worth reclaim your value and your right state of mind you really realize like whoa this was not good at all. Like this was making me a completely different person. And it's no like disrespect, like to the people who are really stuck, like in toxic mindsets. It's like, they're just in a space where I've learned over the years. If you, if a person can't show up for you the way you're showing up for them, it's not worth it. Just period, point blank. I know there's gray areas and there's ways to explain things. And I know relationships, as you stated, Ashley, are about give and take. And relationships sometimes, there are going to be moments where you're going to give a little more than the other person. But the I think the key is it's about sacrifice. So if you know how to sacrifice, can that other person know how to sacrifice? Right. Because if you know how to give a little more at times can that person do for you right. but if you're the only one always giving more if you're the one that's always giving the benefit of the doubt if you're the one that's always making well you know or i believe or whatever but that person ain't never doing that for you that's not reciprocated that's not whole that's not good and like sometimes like depending on like who you are your different coping mechanisms let it be you you'll settle let it be you're too much full of pride let it be you want to give into society i think it's important as an individual take some time to reflect and really own whatever weakness you have, whatever area of growth, so you can really name for yourself what it takes to walk away. Because mm -hmm. that's the other part. Walking away from toxic relationships are not easy. Right. You know, people stay in them for very, very long, like, long time that really just debilitates and just damages the overall person. And not that many people have the strength to, like, do that. And that makes me think, like, I know we're going to talk about the positive attributes, but what contributes to a person being willing to finally take that step to walk away? Okay, so I have <laughs> talked about values before, but I swear y'all they they mentioned take that the, the article. time to define your values. Like, mm -hmm. I can very clearly tell you my top five values, mm -hmm. and I'm going to list them right now. Mm -hmm. You should know them that well. Spirituality is number one. Independence is number two. Family is number three. Mm -hmm. Health and wellness is number four. Integrity is number five. And number six is education. Amen. And they go in that order because I feel like integrity and health and wellness have to come first because I can't do anything. I can be as educated as I want, but I can't live to share this this research. I can't live to do well if I'm not taking care of myself. And if I'm not an honest person, that means my research and the work that I'm doing is false. So education is closer to the bottom because I believe you have to have these other things. Integrity um, and then if you look at it as well, I would say that spirituality comes before everything because I'm thankful for waking up every morning. There is, I believe there is a power that is higher than me in all of this. And the independence comes before family because I realize I had family first after spirituality and then independence a couple of years ago. And I realized if I give everything to my family and don't take care of myself, I will never be able to sustain and create this long-term wealth I want for the legacy mm. of my family. 
And so I had to go God, myself, and then my family. And if you are very clear about your values, Amen. and that other person can clearly state your values and y'all can compare your values, if one of your values are at complete opposite of each other, mm. that is probably going to breed into some toxicity. Yep. You also, if you don't know your values, you don't know yourself. So you don't know how you're going to react. You don't know how you're going to prioritize something. You know yourself by your values. Yep. And so I think when you don't know your values, it leads you into toxicity. And once you know your values, you can relate that someone else's values is not the same as yours or you guys are at, like, direct contradiction of each other. That then leads to, like, you not getting along. Um, So know yourself. And by knowing yourself, know your values because that will help you. Like in your relationship, that will also help you love yourself and find somebody who's going to align with those things that are most important to you. Yep. I definitely agree with naming your values. You have to do that. What do you think, uh, Deacon Mike, in terms of what it takes for a person to walk away from a toxic relationship? Well, I think that um, I actually spoke about this in terms of like one of the unhealthy behaviors in your partner not allowing you to talk with the people that are in your circle about your relationship. I think a, a lot of it has to do with having the conversations and being able to talk about Sometimes it's real easy to see a flag and ignore a flag when you're the only one that knows about the flag. It becomes a little bit harder when you see a flag and you talk to it about your, your, your family, you talk to it with your friends about this flag, and your friends are looking at you and you know they love you and you know they got your back and they like, mm that flag is like a really big flag to me. And I think you need to think about that. And I think it's like really, really important in relationships. Um, Sometimes I feel like I don't have a great balance because maybe sometimes I'm too intellectual. Um, But we have these emotions and we feel love for this person. And this love that we have for this person allows us to ignore red flags. Yeah. And in the conversations that we have with other people, I think that it opens up the opportunity to be a little bit more intellectual in the decisions that we have and less emotional. And emotions hold us in toxic relationships a lot because we think that love is hanging tight when it's really hard, which it is to an extent, you know. You got to redefine the love. Right. Yeah. And so having the conversations like we have on this podcast on a regular basis with the people of your circle is, I think, really, really important to the ability to actually walk away um, in times where it's going to be hard to walk away. You're going to be lonely after you walk away. You're going to feel bad for the person. Like, there's all these things. But the more that we talk to the people in our circle and the more that we get that justification or that push, um, the more that I think we're going to become more confident in the red flags that we see. Can I also add on to that? Um, you start to talk about people in your circle, but also observing. If you are able to observe a healthy relationship, yes. um, it might not be your parents. Maybe it's a mentor. Mm. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's an older coworker. You have to see to believe, and once you see a healthier relationship, it's easier to live into one and to desire one. Mm. Amen. When you see toxic relationships, if you grow up with toxic relationships, that becomes 
a sense of normalcy in your life yeah. and it makes it really hard for you to rationalize whether this is good or bad for you because you know maybe you've seen someone stay in a relationship with somebody who was a drug addict or somebody who was an alcoholic um, and so what's really important is that you surround yourself with positive people and positive relationships mm. and sometimes that doesn't happen until you get a little bit older yeah. and that's okay but I definitely admire some of my friends who have been married and maybe all of them married under 10 years there's some things that I truly admire and that allows me to think well what do I want my relationship to be like when this happens how do I want to get through that situation Um, because it is you know each one teach one amen Mm. and you know I think it's important too um, in terms of like the importance of what it takes to walk away going back like to support systems because I think another sign of like um, unhealthy relationships is when you start to feel isolated from like your close friends and family Mm -hmm. and it's important at times you know, as Pharrell Williams stated, the truth shall, shall, shall set you free, but first it will piss you off. And sometimes those close to you may say something that will piss you off, mm. but it's something that's going to set you free. And sometimes you may be in a situation you're so in it, you can't even see what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But if you are blessed enough to have one or two friends or family members who are reaching in to try to pull you back, listen to them and allow yourself to look within yourself to really take the courage to walk away and um, there's a lot of uh, freedom, not even for yourself, but also for that person that you may have been involved with. Cause a lot of toxic relationships, sometimes it's not as overt as we think. It's not like, oh, this person is straight like Ike Turner or something like that and beating you over the head with something. It's a lot of subtle things. And it's a lot of things like, let it be like the examples you were giving Ashley, like you could have grown up in an environment where you saw parents who stay together years and years and one parent wasn't you know addicted to something so then in your mind you're like well you always stick with somebody because i never saw anybody walk away like you got to name certain behaviors for yourself and it's really there's like general ways to talk about this but at the end of the day it's very individualistic because all of us are so unique and all of our experiences are unique and that's why i just really really encourage people to take some time know yourself Really think about, like, why did I get into this? How did I get into this? It all connects, but you really don't know until you take the time to logically assess and emotionally feel what you've been through, why you're going through it. Um, And that's how you really can set better standards. And, Ashley, I'm so happy you mentioned the the values because in the article it says determine your life code. Mm -hmm. And they, they define that by, like, your values. And I know my values are faith, integrity, maturity, creativity, and love. And Ashley helped me define that. And like, I now ask people that. And I know just how Ashley was stating, like, that's how I operate. And when I think about like the people close to me as t- in terms of like friends, family, colleagues, I see parts of that in everybody I connect with. So I know as I go forward into any type of relationship, me and the said person need to have those qualities aligned. So it's just so important to check in with yourself and find the courage, if you are, I just got to speak this real quick. If you are in a situation right now where maybe it is not the best, you do not feel like yourself, you're losing sleep, you are depressed, you are anxious, you are always on edge, I really, really just encourage you just to do whatever it takes to find the strength and the courage to love yourself and to make that step to move forward. Because it's also important to set boundaries. That was something I had to learn. 
that I did not do for myself because I was such in a people-pleasing mode of like, whatever you need, I'm here. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Just trying to be everything to everybody that I forgot to set boundaries for myself. Mm. So please, the way that you are giving to that person or loving that person to the point where it's debilitating you, take a step back and give that love back to yourself. And I guarantee you there will be so much more freedom and so much more peace when you are when you allow yourself to do that. But it takes work. It takes time. It takes a support system. And so with that being all said, um, let's go ahead and offer our listeners, like, what are some, you know, attributes of a healthy relationship? Like, what does that look like? We talked about the toxicity. Toxic, did I say right? Toxicity. 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 I can't say that. Like, toxicity. <laughs> Sorry. We talked about that. We talked about what contributes to that what gets in the way of that but how can we start to define what is healthy what is whole because relationships are beautiful you guys they are they are (laughs) so as i think about ways and this touches back on a lot of the the research and a lot of the episodes we've done in the past year is love language Mm. so if you take the time to really get to know your partner's love language you should also know your own and then you and your partner work at speaking each other's love language or understanding and interpreting each other's from that person's love language, that's helpful. Working from a place of strength, working from a place of like meeting that person where they are. So I highly suggest if you're in a relationship or if you're not in a relationship, Google love language quiz, take that love language quiz and see what your love language is. Mm -hmm. If you have a loved one, send it to them as well. And this is for, we're talking about like relationships with a significant other, but this is also helpful for, and we're gonna talk about maybe later on in the season, like relationships with parents, mm-hmm. um, relationship with friends. But if you know that friend or that person's love language, it really allows you to understand what is what does that person need in their time of need or what, that, what will make that person happy or joyful um, when you just want to spread joy. So mm. I say take time, take your love language quiz, make sure your loved one takes it, and you all try to meet each other where you are and building from there. Yeah. Did you want to say? Yeah, I think one of the impo- most important things, um, when we talk about, like, self-worth, um, I think a lot of people <laughs> think about self-worth in the sense of what's good about me. Um, mm. And I think self-worth is actually really being comfortable with the fact that not everything's good about you. Um, and I think that when you go and you begin a relationship, it should be... Um, started with a foundation of openness and understanding of like, I am not perfect. These are some of the things that I need to work on. These are some of the things that maybe I'm not the greatest at, but I'm still here and I'm honest and I'm kind and I'm, and I have these values that I really believe in Mm -hmm. and this is who I am. And so understanding that to begin a relationship, it's important to not just be perfect to that person. And to kind of help that person understand on a, a give give that person a holistic view of who you are as a human being so that they can know and make a decision based off of um, what's good and maybe what are areas you're working on or yeah. what are areas that maybe you can lean on them for. Mm-hmm. And in, in terms of developing a friendship, friendships usually are not developed without an understanding that this person is really good at this and I like that and I'm really good at this and they like that. Um, That is like a foundation of a strong relationship that we skip Mm. when we're trying to get in, fall into love because we want that person to think that everything is good, nothing's Mm. wrong, nothing's ever going on, I'm this perfect, I'm this perfect man that you should just marry right away and in fact, 
I do my best to be everything I can and be a good person, but I'm flawed. And there's going to be times where I do things wrong. And in those times, (laughs) maybe I want to lean on you. Um, And maybe that's an area where you can support me in. And I think just being open um, to begin relationships is really important because we begin relationships with the wrong ideas of who that person is. When you said, like, I'm flawed, my mind went to Beyonce's flaws and all song. I'm a train wreck in the morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, you're com- everything you guys are saying right, the love language, the fact that, like, knowing your self-worth isn't about just, like, the best you can be, but knowing, like, your flaws, knowing your areas for improvement. It's not beating yourself up. It's about just acknowledging I'm human. This right. is who I am. And, like, you know, look, y'all, it may be... I just, I got, I just got to just be completely honest. I think, okay, so in terms of making sure that you're in a healthy relationship, right? This is not true for everybody. Sometimes, you know what? We have to fall. We have to kind of like touch the stove to learn. So I, I used to think I was the type of person they were like, you know, they would say, oh, don't touch the stove to know what's hot. I used to think I don't need to go in the kitchen. I'm good. I don't need, I know everything. That's how I used to operate, <laughs> right? Yeah. But I even came to discover that I had to kind of learn some things in order for me to learn how to better love myself. Because I thought I had it figured out until I went through something that made me realize, whoa, I do not. Mm. And so what I would say is in terms of, Um, defining healthy relationships. And I'm going to say this in a way where I'm kind of offering a little bit of my own personal testimony because I feel just just to add some context. I went back and forth three years with somebody who at first was everything to me. And then throughout the years, yeah, it was just it was not healthy at all. And then after that ended, I had to really take some time to dig deep and really ask myself critical questions about why? How? How did he even get here? It wasn't even just about him. It was about things even before him. Mm-hmm. So it took some time for me to sit by myself to figure that stuff out. And then even coming after that and getting into a better mindset about myself and love and worth and having fun again and allowing myself to realize that dating and finding like relationships, it's a process. It's not like this one-time thing of like, oh, and then you meet somebody and it all falls into place. No, it does not work that way. And after going through that situation, I then allowed myself to date somebody else who was nothing but very, very sweet kind, respectful, and loving and everything to me. And we're still friends. We're not dating anymore, but we're still friends. And I offer that because I think in order to get to a point where you can define for yourself what a healthy relationship is, you have to know yourself. You have to go through the battles. You have to fall flat on your face sometimes. Mm -hmm. And you have to get back up. You have to redefine your worth, your value, your love. And you got to set boundaries for yourself. And so when I look at like those two different experiences from going from a situation where it was very toxic to a situation where it was healthy as hell. It was a damn kale smoothie type situation. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just being real. (laughs) It was a kale smoothie type relationship. Like, (laughs) we communicated. It was like, even to the end where, like, it ended. It was still cool. And it really taught me, like, wow, like, you can fall low and you can get back up. And even if the relationship ends, you can still feel good and you can Mm -hmm. still feel fine and you can still move forward. But it's really, really, really about at the end of the day in terms of having a healthy relationship, it's really about accepting accepting yourself and affirming for yourself what you need and what you deserve. And the only way to define that, well, not the only way, so I don't mean to be that conclusive, but one of the ways to define that is just knowing yourself Mm. and knowing the ugly parts of yourself 
the parts where you may not have made the best decisions to the great parts of yourself. And I just say that as a personal testimony because that's what I had to go through to even get me to the position I am right now where I definitely still feel like the 15-year-old Aisha that was, like, confident, carefree, didn't give a care, whatever like that, to now the 34-year-old Aisha who has a little bit more wisdom, who's a little bit more humble, but is still carefree, still open to love, still carries every experience with me in terms of, like, it's a learning lesson, it's a process. And I feel like if you're going to go into this mindset of having a healthy relationship, accept yourself, affirm what you need for yourself, love yourself, set boundaries for yourself, and surround yourself with people that reflect all of the love that you have and all of the um, goodness that you have. Because at the end of the day, we all deserve that. So I just wanted to offer right. that piece because I just felt yeah. the spirit. I said to offer that testimony, y'all. I'm really, I'm really glad you said that because it reminded me of uh, one of my main objectives as a, as a basketball coach um, this year mm -hmm. was to get the young men that I was mentoring and working with to understand power. And I'm mm. really, really fascinated by this idea of power at this point in my life because it has such a bad connotation but if it is used correctly yes. it's a beautiful beautiful thing in fact yep. maybe one of the most beautiful things in life um and what i what i heard as you were giving your testimony right there was assuming our own power in yeah. our lives um and holding ourselves accountable to making sure that we always use our own power to make sure that we build the right relationships. Um, and I think that a lot of that power Oops. comes with accountability and holding ourselves mm. accountable to our values and to holding other people that we want to start relationships to, to the values that we are, think are important. And I think that, that in toxic relationships and sometimes in having trouble getting out of toxic relationships, we give far too much power to the other person. <sighs> And we got to take that power Ooh. back and we got to hold on to and use our own power Amen, to brother. make sure that then we have the power to get out of that relationship. And then we have the power to start a new relationship that is founded in power. Amen. Um, and so I think that as you were saying that, it reminded me a lot about that idea and how important it is to make sure that we always assume the power in our own lives. Amen. Brother, Deacon Mike just always knows how to like take what you're feeling and then like, you know, be like, yeah, this is what came out of it. It is the power, the power to love yourself, the power to affirm for what you need. Like they say, Ashley, you said it takes like seeing to believing, like when you're talking about the relationships yes. and like the views, that's true. And it's also true to speak it, to claim it for yourself. Whatever we want for our lives, whatever we want for the relationships that we want, we can have that. We can be that. You guys can be that. And that's what we're all this about. But we just got to do the work, y'all. We got to mm -hmm. do the work. It ain't just something like, you don't want that. <laughs> yeah, no, you have to set some goals. Right. I agree. It's, it takes time. None of us are here because, like, we woke up knowing ourselves. That's right. Yeah, so is there anything else you guys want to say? We could wrap up this conversation. I feel I feel empowered right now. I'm feeling good, feeling great. I'm feeling great. I just came off of a really great school in, like, vacation. Uh, and so I'm feeling whole and I'm just ruminating on the things I learned. Yes, guys. So just remember, we'll, we always continue always the conversations. You guys continue them, too. A healthy relationship is about really defining your values, knowing your power, and knowing your worth. And whatever you want for yourself, be that for yourself. So then someone else can be that for you. So we wish that and pray that and speak that for everybody who's listening right now. 
Just keep moving forward. Keep showing love. All the good stuff like that. We're going to go ahead. We're going to segue into our Black history history Do you guys see it? Y'all, I said history Black history. I, I thought you were going somewhere. <laughs> Historia. Oh, my. Right. Black history trivia. I think I was combining trivia and history. Historia. Historia. <laughs> that works for me. Oh, my gosh, y'all. Oh, Lord. So, for the month of February, um, and we just want to name at any time throughout the year, it is always black history. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just only in February. We take the time to acknowledge because that's the official month. And we want to honor that. And we want to take pride in that because our stories, our narratives, our historical contributions to this country still aren't the norm. Mm -hmm. So we're making an effort every day to make sure that it is. And since it is our month, we're going to be hella black about it and hella proud about it. And y'all going to be hella black and hella proud too. And yeah. I'm going to just drop also, you know, people forget that American history is black history. That's right. You know, we literally built this nation for free. Free labor. Um, And then if you want to start back, our history doesn't start with slavery. And a lot of kids, a lot of people think that. Y'all, they say that people originated in this Western concept of Africa. We created, um, at times, Egyptians built tombs, which means we created math, we have geometry. There's so many things that black people have done, that African people of the African diaspora, so let's just not forget that as we are taking time to highlight this, to know that our history is the world's history. And everyone, I believe, have descended from some sort of like African body, if we believe that's where men was first discovered. Mm. Amen. Amen. Sorry. <laughs> so, are we starting off with different facts? Um. Yes. Go. Who wants to go first? I'll start us off. Yeah. So, this is to my host here and also our listeners. Who was the first African American woman in Congress? Anyone know? Is it uh, Shirley? Chisholm? Shirley Chisholm, yes. So Shirley Chisholm was elected to the House of Representatives um, in 1968, y'all. And just to be really clear, if y'all don't know, the Civil Rights Movement was like 61, 1961 through 65. So three years after the Civil Rights Movement, um, Shirley Chisholm was the first African-American woman elected to Congress. Mm. And she also went on to be the first African-American woman to be nominated for president of the United States for one of the two major yes. political parties in 1972. So, y'all, she got into Congress. Four years later, she said, I am going to be the president of the United States. Amen. She did not win. Mm-hmm. Um, but she continued on serving seven terms as the House of Representatives. If you guys don't know, House of Representatives hold terms for two years. So that means she held that office for 14 years. Mm-hmm. As a black woman in the 1960s, I am honored. And also, her autobiography is called Unbossed and Unbought because she was serious about not selling out to the people. And that's something that as you, you know, as you get older, as you become professional, it's a show we have a topic on, is being professional selling out. And that's mm. something that I'm definitely thinking about as I launch and as I be authentically black in the new spheres that I'm in. Um, so, yeah, I admire her and I think of her often. Amen. She looked like I, I love me some Shirley, Miss Shirley. She looked like you go to her house and she would have like the candy on the on the yes, coffee table. The, the yeah. You know, she just looked like she'd be that auntie. Like, sit down, baby. Let me, let me give you some <laughs> some political history and some greens. Um, thank you, Ashley. I, you know what? Um, I love the fact that you highlighted a political activist business like woman because that's really reflective of you. It is. 
So I'm going to go ahead and go next, if you don't mind, Deacon don't Mike. Mind. Me and Deacon Mike had the same person originally, but I'm going to switch it up. So I don't know if you're going to go with her, but I'm... No, don't switch it no, up. No, switch hold it. on, I just switch it up because the <laughs> fact that Ashley went with someone that speaks to her, I'm going to go with someone that speaks to me. Uh, this day on Black History, I would like to honor Miss Angelina Weld Grimke. Angelina Weld Grimke was a journalist, teacher, playwright, and poet. And she also was the first African-American woman of color to have a play publicly performed. Mm. The reason why I would love to, the reason why I am acknowledging her is because with her art, with her writing, with her plays, she took her love for storytelling and used it as a vehicle to talk about the lynchings that were going down in the South. She's known for a play entitled Rachel, which talks about a young woman named Rachel, um, living who was in the South, moved up North because her brother had been lynched. And while she's living up North, she gets involved with this man who falls in love with her, who wants to marry her, but she does not want to be with him because she fears getting married, having a chill child, being, um, um, bringing birth and bringing a young black boy into this world who would then potentially get lynched. And it's interesting that something like that was written back in, oh my God, that was like 1913, when this play was written and the fact that these stories or the, the fear around bringing a black child into this world right now because of like police brutality is still going on. And so I bring her up because sometimes people think in this world, I can't believe this is happening. Why is this happening? It's always been happening. And Angelina Grimke was a part of a movement of the anti-lynching drama movement where a coalition of black women playwrights took their plays and they basically committed themselves to writing about the lynchings that were going on. And to commit your art, commit your storytelling to such a horrific part of our history, but was their reality, I respect that, and I, like, just admire that because I think if you have that power and that platform of using your art to then push a message, I'm all for that. So I definitely want to honor Miss Angelina Weld Grimke, whose birthday would have been this month. She was born February 27th, 1880. Wow. She passed away June 10th, 1958. So this is history, y'all. Mm. This and is history. I just want to say that I got chills when you were talking about not bringing in black children to this world because mm -hmm. I understand that. I even fear at times for, like, my nephew and thinking about, like, do we give him the best? I tell my sister all the time, he has to be three times as better because he's a black male and people have internal biases um, about black people and especially black males so I appreciate you talking about that and for people who don't know who lynching what lynching is let's just go back a step lynching was after emancipation and blacks mm -hmm. were free yep at that time blacks became not worthy they yep. were not three-fifths of a person so it was no good for the owner to claim them to vote um, they were not sh they were sharecropping so you know you don't want to kill you the people who are still you're making money off but the people who are free we had no more value to white people. Economic value. Yes, and so they felt like to intimidate us and to, to, to really eliminate us, let's hang them. Yep. Our men were mostly attacked because of course if you destabilize the man, if you demasculate the man, you demasculate the family because we are a patriarchal society, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. To go on further is white people would bring their families to these hangings on trees and watch the black men die and then they would take home pieces of body as a souvenir so genitalia yes fingertips yes mm -hmm. and they would bring their kids what kind of people brings your child to see someone be murdered okay and then to take a souvenir of the person's body so if you don't know what lynching is i want you to just 
to have that in your, your psyche and think about, would you take your child to go see something, someone being hung? Would you take a souvenir from that person's body? Because they're still a human, regardless of what racial or gender that human is. And so I just want to give you that understanding of lynching if you don't have that. Yep, that part. Thank you, Ashley, for mentioning, because that's a part of our history that they do not talk about. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, brother um, Deacon Mike. I switched up uh, my <laughs> my uh, oh, Black History um, fact of the of the of the week, but it is that um, Martin Luther King Jr. improvised the most iconic part of the "I Have a Dream" speech, oh. um, and it was not planned. It was not um, in the like regular uh, writing of his speech, um, which I thought was like uh, really really interesting. Um, and that like you know his initial speech was like far more political, okay, um, and less and less like uh, inspirational. And it says that um, there's a singer named uh, Malia Jackson. Who reportedly from from the back or like she was on stage near near Martin Luther King, uh, kept saying to him, "Tell him about the dream, Martin." And um, oh. and then he went into and nobody knew if he could hear her or not. Um, but then he went into even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. Mm. Um, and then from there he kind of went on in a sermon style um, and said the rest of the rest of the speech which i think is really cool and it reminded me a lot of um i watched this show that was about um president obama and his use of words over his eight years Uh. and i think that at some point in this in history um president obama will kind of go down in a similar position as like martin luther king because of the way that he used words Mm. to be an inspiration for other black people in this country and other mm. people in general that are not just black people um, and just the use of words. And when you really feel something from your heart and you present it in a way um, that can touch other people, yeah. uh, you become really, really powerful. So um, I thought that was dope that it wasn't really planned and that instead it came from the heart. And uh, and yeah. that was probably one of the most iconic things that he said. Dope. I love he was led by the spirit, y'all. And I love the fact, uh, Deacon Mike, the fact that you, you know, you reference Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. You, so you connecting to somebody right there too. We waiting for your sermon. What's your dream? You know, <laughs> we want to hear from Deacon Mike. Yes, you guys. Um, I love this. We should probably just continue this on even like going forward and stuff. I just I think it's so important that we acknowledge historical figures, historical movements, because everything that we're doing now is reflective of what came before us. And if we want to move forward into a better future, which we will, we need to acknowledge, be aware and educated about those who sacrifice so much. You know, I just I always think about that every time we're sitting here as a podcast and we talk about the things that we do when there were times within our history, this stuff was really considered illegal. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of privilege. There's a lot of freedom in what we do. And we encourage you guys as the listeners, take some time, do your research, do your research, follow up on the speech of Reverend Martin Luther King, follow up on Shirley Chisholm, follow up on Angelina Grimke, you know, follow up on other figures and movements. Don't let it just stop here. So we're going to go ahead and segue into reading is good for the soil, a.k.a. your mind. I will go ahead and just um, start us off. Um, 
I'm going with Feel Good Books this week by Black authors. This is going to sound really random, but once upon a time in Mexico, when I was like 15, 14 years old, I used to write on these B2K Imagine Storyboard websites, like all these like imaginal stories or whatever. Imaginal. I'm making up words today. Imaginative stories, you guys. (laughs) And so I had this story called The Preacher's Daughter, and it was pretty ridiculous. And me and my friend were talking about this about a few days ago, if you guys are wondering why she's talking about this. And the reason why I was inspired to write The Preacher's Daughter was because of this book called The Coldest Winter Ever by Sister Soldier. Have y'all read this? Yes. <laughs> we were just talking about that with my friend. I was like, these were, the, these were so juicy. Right. <laughs> so you were in high school. So it's like urban, you know, literature. Um, and it's, yo, I think Sister Soldier is a phenomenal writer. This book came out, God, was it like in 1999? Because I read it like in freshman year of high school. It, Oh, sorry, bring it up. Um, it highlights the story of Santiago, a young girl, um, black and Puerto Rican growing up. Oh, it's kind of breaking up a little bit. It's okay. Um, oh, there it goes. All right. Breaking up, um, uh, growing up in Brooklyn, New York, and her father, who basically is like this big drug lord. And it's, it's a lot of drama. It's pretty, it's it's entertaining, though, and it's fun, and it's cool, and it's well-written, and there's a lot of just different things going on. I would just say, if you, allow, if you are looking to read something that's entertaining, that allows you to see a different world outside of your own, that isn't like in my opinion, still too over the top. Go ahead, read The Coldest Winter Ever by Sister Soldier, which inspired me to write my story to Preacher's Daughter about a girl living a crazy life, which that was pretty ridiculous. But anyway, and then the second book that I want to acknowledge, another feel-good book for Black history. Ashley, you love this book. Yes. Um, Langston Hughes, The Return of Simple. Um, Different short stories about Jesse Simple and all of his crazy adventures through America and just fun commentary of this character. Mr. Simple. Um, I love it. I read the different stories anytime I need like a little pick me up or something just to laugh at with social commentary. And it's so funny that it was written over 50 years ago. So funny, y'all. But it's still like applicable. So, yeah, my two books are Langston Hughes, The Return of Simple and The Coldest Winter Ever, Sister Soldier. So, um, in honor of Black History Month, but I do this always, I feel like, um, there was another book by a book, like someone who was non-black that I wanted to highlight, but you all know I've been highlighting children's books all year, um, and I think it's important because reading is good for the soil, for adults, but also so much to plant these seeds in our younger children because it will make college easier and make school easier, and it give, it puts them up to par with those other kids who are getting supplemental tutoring. Um, so please, I'm highlighting children's books because I want you all to like buy more books for children and make sure they're reading once or twice um, a day, especially before they go to sleep. So this one is a book that I bought for my niece for Christmas. It's called Dream Big, Little One. Aww. And it is about stories of African-American women in history. And it's written in child form, and it's extremely cute. They highlight people um, like one of the ladies from, I'm blanking right now, um, Hidden Figures. Um, the first black woman who went up in space. And so it's just really important. And I think little girls can benefit from this, but I also think little boys can benefit from this. So it's a children's book. I highly recommend it. What is it called again? Dream Big, Little One. Oh, Dream Big. <laughs> uh, my book for the week ties back to the uh, person that both me and Aisha were, were going to shout out for our black history. <laughs> um, fact, 
and there's a book about her and so i can okay, get great. it on the on the back end but it's claudette colvin twice toward twice toward justice by philip hoos um and i think that's really um an interesting book to check out um because i think rosa park became rosa parks became a really um valuable person to the movement but i think it's like nine months before rosa parks mm -hmm. um launched a Mont montgomery bus boycott uh, claudette colvin as a 15 year old schoolgirl referred refused to give her seat up um and moved to the back of the bus mm -hmm. went to jail uh went through the, the whole process so the fact that at 15 yeah. um she was inspired by the strong woman leaders like sojourner truth and harriet tumbin to do this and make this stand um is like a testament to black girl magic mm. is a testament to like who she is as a as a young lady is a testament to how you can begin pushing our society um towards its movement to being more tolerant at any age yeah. um and she's kind of been to some extent a little bit forgotten in the history books um because rosa parks ended up becoming the face um mm. and so uh claudette colvin Twice Towards Justice by Philip Hughes. I think, thank you for naming that, because Ashley has mentioned her before, and the fact that she wasn't as highlighted was because she was 15, right. unwed mother, the whole, like, they didn't think that it would it'd be a good image. Yeah, right. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that, because I absolutely love this. It was something mm -hmm. I learned in college. So, y'all, black women for refusing to get up off the seat, that was a political, thought-out, strategic move. Yes. We didn't just say, oh, we're going to get on the bus and not get up one day. Like, even Rosa Parks, Parks doing that, that was strategic thought. Yep. Um, Planning. NAACP, um, if you guys know what SNCC is, all of these um, nonviolent, like, civil rights organizations came together and politically said, this is what we're going to do. The lunch counters, the yep. sit-ins, all of those things were strategic plans. Mm. And so Claudette Colvin was chosen. When it was chosen, when she was chosen, she was jailed. Everything happened. Um, about that month later, she found out that she was pregnant, and they decided for political reasons because, mm -hmm. of course, black people have to be two and three times better. Look at the Obamas versus the Trumps, mm -hmm. um, because the implicit bias people have around us. Yep. Um, they decided not to choose her, and then to do it again with Rosa Parks. She was older. She was going to be more respectable. She wasn't unwed, um, but she did the same thing. Um, and again, oh, that was strategic. Gosh. But you have to, we have to be strategic as a people because we understand we're working from a place of disadvantage. I really want to talk, we're going to do an episode, you guys, about respectability politics mm -hmm. because I think it's definitely a lot to explore with that, with the history behind that, and even still how it plays out today. Yeah, that's that's where definitely respectability. Yeah. Where came from, like, mm -hmm. because the politics of respectability. How do you function in white America? How do you function? And this is something we talk about even now as a, someone yeah. who goes to an Ivy League who's a black American who's authentically black. How do you function in these spaces in an authentic way, but also in a way where people respect you and you have to show up? And how do you do that? And how do you do that without compromising your own individuality, your own blackness, your own just way of expressing yourself, and also without like compromising and isolating parts of your community? Because I think at the end of the day, what this does and how the system plays against us, it separates us. Right. Because then you have those who are the ones who are playing the role or who know how to play the game, and the ones who don't. And then at the end of the day, like we're just all fighting against each other. So we're gonna do an episode, you guys, about respectability politics. I had an had an experience while getting my hair braided this past weekend i'll tell you guys about that off air but anyway we're gonna go ahead we're gonna wrap this up 
because we're towards the end of the show. We hope you guys, it was informative. We hope it was um, powerful. We hope it was loving. We hope it was whole. We hope it was everything that you needed to be. We hope that you get the rest of your week start off great, amazing, and lovely. We'll go ahead and we'll wrap it up with our quote for the week. I may have stated this before, but in the spirit of making sure that we're loving ourselves, in the spirit of making sure that we're setting boundaries, defining our values, and surrounding ourselves with those who love us the way that we know how to love ourselves, I would like to quote my good friend and poet Rudy Francisco, who stated, perhaps we should love ourselves so fiercely that when others see us, they know exactly how it should be done. Drop the mic. Who would like to go next? Um, I'll go with it. Oh. Oh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, I'll go with a quote that I think um, uh, is just said in general as a basketball quote, but then I'll tie it to what we talked about today. Um, love is playing every game as if it's your last and um, in terms of relationships i think love is um interpreting every interaction as if it's your last um, hmm. we oftentimes when people pass away then think about how our last interaction with them wasn't perfect and i think that true love is making sure that every interaction you have with somebody is through love um and you got to do that as if every interaction is your last amen this is a quote that I've said before, but I don't think it's reiterated enough. Um, and it is by James Baldwin. To be Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in rage almost all the time. So that the first problem is how to control that rage so that it won't destroy you. Amen. This is not just for Black History Month. This is for, like, for life. If mm-hmm. you are understanding you're super conscious and you get it, it is understandably that you're going to be upset. Um, it's how do you navigate and how do you play the game um, and back to the politics of respectability. Um, so I'm excited to talk about that. But just remember, to be Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be enraged almost all the time so that the first problem is how to control that rage so that it won't destroy you. James Baldwin. Amen. I like the follow-up. How do you control that? And put it into a positive perspective and to add some love and some life and to make sure you're doing something good with that, y'all. That's mm-hmm. right. Raging something good. Rage is good. Happy Sunday, y'all. All right, we're the Seed You Soul Podcast. We love you. We'll be back next week. Holla. Peace. <laughs>